it's klezmer metal. It's a it's a subgenre of a subgenre. <laughs> Hey, Prague fans. Welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Prague Podcast Project. My name is Tony, and as always, I'm joined by... Craig and Lee. Hey, we're three friends and Prague aficionados here to talk about the history and the craft of progressive music while sprinkling in our always unvarnished opinions of the music and the personalities that make this genre so great. You can find us on Twitter at UP3Show, or you can contact us via email at UP3Show at gmail.com. If you can't get enough of the show, don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts or on our homepage at up3show.podbean.com. This makes sure that you don't miss an episode and make sure that we hit the top of the recommendations wherever you are getting your podcasts. All right. So as we get into tonight's episode, I wanted to check in with you guys. And uh, Lee, what have you been up to since we last talked? Work's been crazy busy. And I've been back to writing music, but last night I upgraded my native instruments to the next rev of software, and they gave me like another 120 gig of sample libraries, and I just went apeshit, stayed up all night, playing around with a new piano and all different kinds of stuff. You had mentioned you were maybe going to rewrite an old favorite song of yours. Have you worked on that? Work kind of jumped in the middle of it. But yes, I am working on that uh, version of the Todd Rundgren song. Couldn't I just tell you? Maybe by next uh, episode, I might have something to show you. Cool. How about you, Craig? Uh, We drove out to New York to spend Thanksgiving with my daughters, and uh, one of them got COVID, and they said, Daddy, go home, because I don't want to kill you, because I'm old and frail. So we uh, made sure that she had all the care that she needed and support system and all that. Uh, We hightailed it back home. On the music side, uh, spending a huge amount of time with Cakewalk. I've never really spent much time with a computer-based sequencer or haven't in many years. I've been immersed in it this week because I took yesterday and today off. One of my projects is I wrote a funny kind of song set to the tune of Auld Lang Syne about COVID-19. <laughs> so my job that I'm trying to do with Cakewalk is to record it. Yeah, let me know if you want a kibitz on Cakewalk. I'd be glad to walk you through Yeah, I might. It has like every mode. I like how it has different perspectives. Yes. What about you, Tony? I've been on vacation for about a week. So I've been kind of lackadaisically working on some hobby projects that are not show or music related at all. And then I have a little Skunk Works project for the show that I've decided to start working on. I'm not going to say too much about that yet. But I'm making some progress on that and hoping to have something in January that I can show. It's something that's close to my heart and something I care about and really enjoying that. As we are also want to do usually, uh, what have you guys been listening to? Lee, why don't you start us there? What have you been listening to? I tripped across a band called The Ocean. Um, Some people call it The Ocean Collective, and it blew my socks off. Um, It's a prog metal band out of Germany, and they've been around for quite a while, but this is the first I've picked them up. The typical vocal style on this album is growl vocals, which I'm not a huge fan of. But there are some guest vocalists on this, including Jonas Rinksa of Catatonia, which is actually how I found it. But the instrumental music is just incredible. The name of the album is Phanerozoic 2, and it is 
a concept album about different eras of geology. See, I love concept records. Yep. I know everyone knows that, but I love a con- like. Really, that's a concept for a record. I love. Why that. not? How about you, Craig? I've actually been digging into Flower Kings. They were one of the surprises on the first cruise that we went on back in 2014. Rona Stolt stood next to him at the salad bar. Super nice guy. He is rapidly climbing the charts of favorite guitar players. So good, so tasty. Gives the Flower Kings such an edge that I really enjoy. And then the other thing is, and this is going to be like a time warp because of uh, the episode that uh, people are about to hear, Dream Theater Octavarium. Mm. And basically listen to the song Octavarium beginning to end. It's a rather long song. And uh, the thing that's noteworthy to me is, feels like the first three minutes of that are Shine On You Crazy Diamond Part 1. Oh, interesting. The synthesizer holding down a G minor chord for about a minute. And a little bit of noodles on the side. And then it goes into something else. I'm really enjoying it because I'm not a dream theater nerd like you guys are. And this feels like a good uh, dream theater gateway drug. It is. What about you, Tony? In the past, I have said that Caligula's horse sounded very dissonant to me. So I've been specifically listening to In Contact over and over. And I don't know. I think maybe something has shifted for me or, or what have you. Maybe I'm coming with a fresh perspective. But I am loving that record. And I think now that I'm really loving that record, I really want to get into listening to Rise Radiant. Because, Lee, I know that you've talked about how much you love that record. And uh, I want to get get into that record a lot. Cool. So as we go into what we normally do here for news and upcoming releases, Lee, do you want to start us off? And I have a feeling I know which one's going to be off the top of your your mind here. Liquid Tension Experiment, man. I am just, Yeah. yeah, I am so psyched for LTE3 to come out. Um, all they're saying is spring of 2021, but same lineup. Man, I'm so stoked. LT, I can't wait. I kind of like how they uh, just kind of put a couple of teasers up on like Facebook. and yeah. Not many people give a shit, but the people that give a shit are over the moon. The, we're all super stoked about this, and I am very excited. Yeah, go to YouTube and watch live in New York. Uh, it's the, the whole thing beginning to end is up there, and it's brilliant. Transatlantic coming out in February. I actually spent some time today on the website trying to decipher which version of the album, The Ultimate Universe, that's coming out I wanted to order. And after 10 minutes, I still can't tell you. Portnoy said there's even different lyrics between some of the versions. Oh, I hadn't heard that. I knew a different arrangements, but <laughs> which oh <my> God. <laughs> thoroughly ticks me off now. If Adrian Blue had his hands on that, he would have like some app that allows you to choose your own adventure and decide, oh, let's have, you know, Neil sing this one. I think they're just taking the least common denominator, shortest path to try and maximize revenue. You know, God bless them. They're good guys and a great band and all that, but it just feels hokey. It, it feels Absolutely. really bad to me too. And I think you kind of hit on it with the revenue thing. Like I could understand like having an album, maybe even having the definitive version of the album that's two discs, and then you cut it down to one disc but it's the same versions on the one disc as it is on the two disc. Mm. And maybe eventually like if you have like a version where Neil does the lyrics on this one, but maybe Portnoy does the lyrics on a different one or something, right? You have that as a B side somewhere. Yeah. Having three quote unquote canon officially sanctioned versions of this just feels like that dream theater Inc. where they're just trying to milk money out of everything. That's what right. this feels like to me. And I hate this feeling 
being taken advantage of for my fandom. Yeah. It almost feels like I'm being forced to go buy at least two different CDs. Yeah. Yeah. Steven Wilson's album is still scheduled to come out in January, The Future Bites, but he did release some of the tunes on MP3 for streaming. So I've downloaded four of those songs. I uh, haven't started listening yet, but I will shortly. Richard Barbieri, the keyboardist for Porcupine Tree, has a new album coming out called Under a Spell, and that's in February. And then I Am the Morning has a new EP they've just released called Counting the Ghosts. And finally, Kairos has released a new EP called Four of Fear. Oh, serious? And I've just downloaded that, but I haven't started listening yet. That's the ones I know about. Lee, you hit all the big news, but uh, for those that aren't familiar with Nightwish, the lead singer of Nightwish, Floor Janssen, she's been doing cover songs yeah. on her YouTube channel. She did a version of Disney's Let It Go that just yep. was awesome. And then my favorite was she did a cover of Alone by Heart. She's a, a vocalist in a league of her own anyway, but just go listen to those. Um, and then the only other prog news I wanted to bring up and kind of get your all feedback on is I saw today that on the new Fish record, um, he has a song called Song of Remembrance, which is a great song, but that it was selected as Prague Song of the Year by Prague Report. Really? And this yeah. continues to blow my mind that we have Fish and Peter Gabriel with the similar pedigree that we've talked about before, mm-hmm. and yet Fish keeps being a Prague guy instead of being a pop guy. And I would say that most of his work has been pop, but... Interesting. I'll go listen to that. Yeah, same. Lee and I are going to take you guys on a discussion here a little bit about one of our favorite subgenres here, which is progressive metal. And I think when you think of progressive metal, you think of bands like Dream Theater, Tool, maybe Mastodon. Lee, I know that when we talked about this, I'm going to come at it from a, an angle of kind of dictionary definitions, but how do you broach the topic of progressive metal? History is always a good reference point for me. You know, I started in Prague and then started loving prog metal as it grew. But I think it's good to start with some differentiation points and some definitions. And it seems to me like the easiest way to start is really just to pick it up from two episodes ago when we left off from what is prog. When we think about prog and we went through all of the things about prog and being progressive and kind of pushing boundaries and things like that, where the metal comes in, like typically heavy metal has got like loud distorted guitars and, yeah. and emphatic beats and, and just being kind of general, generally in your face, where I think that those two combine is we get things like really, really highly technical people in metal. Yeah. And like a really great example of this is on a recent Rick Beato episode. He interviewed Tosin Abasi and Tosin was really clear about, you know, we are very technical guitarists. We have a lot of skill and chops, but then they're also using techniques like gent guitar and, and things like that that I think put them into a different category. So I think that you can listen to prog without being a prog metal fan. But I think that if you're a prog metal fan, you kind of have to be interested in the things that make prog prog. So one of the great things that I learned from this interview that Rick Beato did with Tosin Abasi is that, I don't know if he said this specifically, but I think the sentiment was there is that you don't get lazy fans of prog metal or progressive music in general. Like it's, as I think Leah said in the past, it's not going to be the background music at a frat party. It's just going to be something that people are really into probably because they're players and musicians themselves. Right. You definitely have to bring the attention. Yep. But I agree. I think it really 
um, is heavily technical. I would add to that a couple of things. There is some vocal differentiation here. We'll get a little bit into like growl vocals, which I think is fairly unique to prog metal. And some things like very, very heavy double bass. I know you'll get that in just straight metal, but you hear a lot of that in prog metal. And I would even extend your point about technicality to the entire band. A lot of these acts will do very heavily technical runs where bass, guitar, and drums all are doing the same line. I agree with that, especially I want to agree on the drumming. The drumming that I find in progressive metal bands is on a different technical level than I would typically find in a straight-ahead metal band or rock band. Yes. Obviously, there's technique and there's flourishes, but I find a lot of straight-ahead rock bands, really the drummer's just there to keep the beat, and maybe he adds a flash here and there. But as you mentioned, in prog metal, these are technical drummers. They've got their own thing going on as well, and you could mute everything else in the, in the mix and still have a very compelling song that's going on. That's absolutely right. And one of the things that comes to mind when you bring that up is, you know, now that Portnoy is gone from Dream Theater, and we'll get more into Dream Theater in this episode, but now that Mangini's there, you can actually pick up some of the more recent Dream Theater, and you can hear where the kick is following guitar, the snare is following bass, the toms are following keyboards. He is doing technical things that are matching everybody else in the band. It's not just a rhythm track that's underneath it, like you said. Yeah. That kind of sets the stage here. The thing that really resonated with me is that, as we've spoken about before, a lot of Prague was a European invention. So a lot of the founders of progressive as a genre were Europe, and then they were importing it to the States. Prague metal, uh, by counterpoint, was a uniquely American invention. It's our contribution to this genre, the overall genre, and also the subgenre. But I hope that we get to talk to a a point of how some of those tables have turned in the modern era. One thing you haven't mentioned, because I'm looking at your definitions there, this is guitar-focused. Is that correct? Maybe. Not always. And I've got some examples that show that it's not. Because if it's not guitar, I guess what I'm wondering is how progressive metal and all of the things you just described in there differs from just progressive. When we were doing our pre-production meeting, there were bands that we were banding about that we were like, I said, oh, I think they're a prog metal band. And Lee was like, no, I don't think so. And vice versa. And I think that that's fair. Prog is different than straight ahead rock. And there's defining things that make a band prog versus rock. It's less defined here, in my opinion, for prog metal. One of the things that you're going to get out of this is that you do have this focus on gent style guitaring, which is kind of palm muted guitars. That's not universal, in my opinion. I can give you plenty of examples of a band that I consider to be a prog band. They either don't do that at all or don't do it most of the time or only do it some of the time. But then I think to your point about it being guitar-focused, I've got some examples even in my samples list of songs and bands that are bass-centric, some that have a focus on keyboard. And we'll probably get into this more as we start citing examples. I don't know that being guitar-focused, in my opinion, is a characteristic of prog metal. Lee, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree. Not guitar-focused, but guitar-heavy is what I would say. But I have examples in my clips tonight with bands that use quite a bit of keyboards in prog metal. I'd say maybe guitar-forward, but not guitar-centric. You'll see bands in this genre where there are dual guitarists, and it's not really lead rhythm like it would be in maybe straight metal or straight rock. Haken's a good example of that. There absolutely is a role for the keyboard in this genre. That's the way I'd sum it up. 
So now will a band self-identify as prog metal or do we get to pick that or? Dream Theater would. There's a number of bands that would self-identify as prog metal. I think the definitions are really more for us, the listener. If you're the band, you're not really trying to fit the genre. You're really trying to set the genre. Interesting. I agree 100%. And in fact, one of my favorite bands in this genre, Leprous, yep. they started as more of a metal sounding band in their early records. And then they kind of hit the sweet spot where everyone identified them as a prog band. And then their most recent album, Pitfalls, came out last fall. And they got thrashed in the progressive media because they were like, this is not prog enough. And it was enough of a backlash that the lead singer, Einar, went and was like, what the hell is prog? Like, I don't want a label. We're just going to do music that speaks to us. And then whatever label someone else puts on it, that's their problem. But I do think it's important for us, the listener, because Tony and I, when we go on business trips, we'll go sack a local record store. And the category is at least going to give us something to start looking in. And and we know what we're going to get from these bands. Right. And I'll use Leprous as an example again here, because I think if you're a prog journalist and you're listening to a lot and it's very diverse and you are tasked with maybe reviewing the new Leprous record, for example, you have a preconceived expectation of what you're expecting to hear. As someone who maybe is a fan of the subgenre of just prog metal or even just a fan of Leprous, I didn't feel disappointed, right? Like it felt like it fit in continuity. And I know that there are people, if you even speak about a bigger band like Caligula's Horse or Haken or Dream Theater, they've done some weird shit, right? Like they've done some tracks or some albums that deviate. And I don't think that that invalidates that they're a prog metal band. I think that that's actually exactly what makes them a prog band is that they're pushing boundaries. And most of the bands we're going to talk about go in and out of this genre, even within one album. Uh, Caligula's Horse is a prime example for me. Mm -hmm. They absolutely do some of the best prog metal, in my opinion. But then the next song will be a ballad or a straight metal piece. Yeah, and I would even challenge people that are fans of a band that's traditionally associated with prog, like Rush. I think that Rush has one or two albums that are proggy, but not really that many. I think that they're more more of the time that they're a rock band. That's a great lead-in for me on the Rush topic, because definitions are great for me, but I like to look at the influences and where this all started and where it came from, mostly because I'm an old fucker. (laughs) I think early Rush is very prog. You look at albums like 2112 or Hemispheres, I think they're very strongly prog rock, but 2112 comes out in 1976, and you don't really start seeing the origins of prog metal until the late 80s. And I think there's a handful of albums you can point to that mark the start of prog metal. Metallica's Master of Puppets is marked by a lot of prog metal bands as an influence. That's primarily a heavy metal album, but it does start to have a lot of prog elements added to it. A lot of production, A lot of overdubs, not really what you would expect out of a straight heavy metal album. That one for me is a little bit on the edge. For me, where it really starts is Fate's Warning, Awaken the Guardian. That's a big one. And for me, the other one is Queensryche, Operation Mindcrime. All of those were um, after Rush first came out, right? Yes. Metallica Master of Puppets is 86. Fate's Warning, Awaken the Guardian is 86 as well. Operation Mindcrime by Queensryche is 89. So a good 10 years have passed since Rush released 2112. But let's start by playing a clip off of Operation Mindcrime. This is The Eyes of a Stranger by Queensryche. I see your face looking back at me. I see your face looking back at me. 
that was a great clip. So I think a couple of the things that catch on and get built upon for prog metal is A, that open bass line. It's really almost a solo bass. And the second is the guitars. We get to keep the good distorted heavy metal guitar, but in this song, it's very slowly arpeggiated chords. And on other Queensryche songs in this album, there's a lot of open fifths, even open octaves. Removing the third is interesting because it's ambiguous to the listener whether they're listening to a major or a minor scale or chord, which is determined by the third of the scale. In Western music, major chords are associated with happier or more positive pieces, and minor chords are typically reserved for sadder, more melancholy pieces, so it really sets a bit of an unknown feeling for the listener. And taking out the third also really minimizes the harmonics you can get from a heavily distorted guitar that can really kind of be hard on the ears. And that, for me, is one of the key reasons why people didn't really follow the Rush example as much as this album's example with Greensreich. It's much harder to get away with open chords in a power trio. And you'll be able to trace this as we go through the clips. One of the other things I want to make sure I note about that record is that that's a concept record. It's a great concept record, actually. And it's formed as a piece of art. I think that we're already in the 80s. We're already seeing it from the very early uh, pioneers in this arena. Right. So prog metal, like you say, a big element is the story or the lyrics beyond just the crunchy guitar kind of 80s metal feel. This is coming out of a legacy of Prague starting to become concept heavy in the late 70s. Like we even talked about with Genesis and then Peter Gabriel. This is already something that was building. I think it's culminating here in a different thing, but it's been the thing that's been building. Well, and even if it's not a concept album, it's a song that's about something beyond love. Yes. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And we're going to see that a lot. The band that really takes this identity of prog metal and runs with it is Dream Theater. The first album is When Dream and Day Unite. It has a different vocalist on it, Charlie Domenici. The second album is Images and Words. That album has James Labrie on it as vocalist. And that's where you get the hit that most people know, Pull Me Under. And then Scenes from a Memory is where Jordan Rudis shows up as keyboardist. And that really is where the 800-pound gorilla Dream Theater version starts. To me, Dream Theater albums can lean prog rock or prog metal. But the clip I'll play now is from Systematic Chaos, which I think is definitely one of their more prog metal-leaning albums. And I think it's a good example of what we were discussing earlier, where Guitar, bass, drums, and keys, all playing the same technical line in unison. This is constant motion. I think that Dream Theater is an artistic band, probably through Octavarium. Maybe a little bit after that, then they start turning into Dream Theater, Inc. There's nine studio albums between Images and Words and Black Clouds and Silver Linings. And I think that's kind of the core of Dream Theater and prog metal. Mm -hmm. And I think Octavarium is probably the peak. Mm -hmm. And I'll have to save the rest for a separate episode I'll do on Dream Theater. I could do an entire episode just on Octavarium. Because most people don't even realize how that's a concept album in a very subtle way. 
No. The eight song pieces on the album are written in a major scale. I believe it's from F to F, an octave, so octavarium. And then there's also five little mini breaks between some of the songs that are written in the half steps above. So the entire album is basically a big chromatic scale. The album was their eighth studio album, so octo, octavarium. And then the song Octavarium itself is written into eight parts. I mean, I'll I'll stop there and save it for another episode. The 90s for me are where the sound that we have in prog metal today really starts to crystallize. One that I identified that I definitely thought, because the sound is going to sound so familiar, is the first conception record from 1993. And the specific track, Roll the Fire... The thing that really comes out of that sample for me is, one, we're starting to hear the gent guitars. And we're starting to see kind of that syncopation going on with the guitars and the drums. Roy Kahn is a songwriter. We start to see these songwriters that are being more, not conceptual in a concept record kind of sense, but they're each song and then maybe even the album, if they're doing a concept album, is a piece of art. Like They're not just churning out songs. It's still in the heavy metal vein, but they're taking that progressive tradition of it being a piece of art. So that's 1993. And then other bands that are coming along and releasing records during this period of time that are still heavy prog metal bands today are, we have in 1995, Meshuggah's album, Destroy, Erase, Improve. And then also another band is Amorphous. They released the album Elegy in 1996. But if you were to go to a record shop, and you were to say, name a prog metal band, they're going to name Tool, right? And that's, that's kind of like the universal band that people, at least of my generation, know. There are a couple of tracks on the album Undertow, like the title track Undertow, the song Swamp Song, and the song Flood, uh, Flood being one of my favorites, where you can just tell that this band is itching to do much more musically and conceptually and structurally than just play straight-ahead metal tracks. That's cool. The first album that I think of theirs that really nails this prog metal sound is their album Anima in 1996. And it's not just about the music. What we see on this record that it took people years to decode was that Tool started playing around with like mathematical formulas and encoding them into their meter changes and their time signature changes. That's a level of artistry that I think is on another level from a lot of um, other bands just in general, but it is very not unexpected in prog metal, for example, right? Because we see that across a lot of different bands that are in this genre, regardless of their decade that they're in. It's not unexpected that bands in this genre would do that. I find it fascinating that we can draw a line from Queensryche, you know, just the eight ahead, straight ahead 80s kind of guitar to the tool song that's that's a journey i i'm i'm, I'm struggling kind of to connect the dots 
Yeah, okay. So as another example, let's listen to Lateralis off the same titled album. I think you can draw a pretty straight line between what Justin Chancellor with Tool is doing there on bass and what Eddie Jackson was doing in Queensryche. You know, when we were talking the other day, one of the concepts that we came up with is that there are certain standard bearers in prog metal. Yep. And we agreed that Dream Theater is one of them. I think unequivocally that Tool is one of them. They are one of the standards that other bands measure themselves against. Yes. I think the 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 ripples of what this the people in this band do resonate across the genre, right? Right. And you started with conception. I think you can also talk about Camelot here as a tentpole, especially with Roy Cohn. And you can do Camelot much better than I can. When Camelot was in its early days, Camelot was much more of a, a power metal band. But what you get from Roy Cohn, who's cutting his teeth in a prog metal band, Coming into Camelot, which at that point was a power metal band, is you start bringing that artistry and a concept into the songwriting that you see coming out of of Camelot. A couple of the songs that I really personify this period in time, uh, there's a song called Ghost Opera. It's going to incorporate a lot of violin. In, in just like a four and a half or five minute song, this really sweeping story. And so that song is the story of a ballerina who dances in an opera where she kind of ages out of being in the opera, and she's longing to be back there, and she would do anything to be back there. Something else that comes out of Camelot in this period of time is they start doing concept records. And so in 2002 and 2005, they have the sequence of two records that are retelling the story of Faust. So one thing that Camelot fans will find, if you go to live shows, one of the staples of any live Camelot show is the song Center of the Universe. And what I really want to mention here and have people pay attention to is the kind of what we call the galloping guitars. This is a quintessential Camelot sound, but I want to bring this back to this is also a quintessential prog metal thing. You find this all over prog metal. But if you go even further back, this is a quintessential thing that comes way back from the history of someone like Johnny Cash. This is a band that is not keyboard centric, but they definitely put the keyboard front and center when it's appropriate. It's everything is a composition. What I'm trying to convey here from Tool and Camelot and other bands is that this is an artistic endeavor and 
Tool chooses to often express their art in mathematics and that technical complexity and all, like all these hidden things. Bands like Camelot are being much more artistic uh, in terms of we're going to have an opera singer, we're going to have a full like we're going to go to London and get the full London Philharmonic to record orchestration with us. This ends up influencing other similar bands like Nightwish, for example, that are much more considered a symphonic band. What prog metal is, is evolving. And I think that maybe ultimately we'll see things like symphonic metal or operatic metal. Those will probably get subsumed into the greater progressive metal banner. Um, They're separate today, but I think you can make an argument that they're not so different. So is Tool an outlier where they do this mathematical stuff and everybody else does artistic stuff? No, there's actually a whole subgenre called math metal. Not, Not to be confused with meth metal. Meth metal is Nickelback, and math metal is Tool. <laughs> <laughs> and as we go through the 90s and then into the 2000s, I think Dream Theater is obviously still in the center of that. And then we start getting more bands like Symphony X and Pain of Salvation. Another band that starts in the early 2000s and takes off is Circus Maximus, a Norwegian prog metal band. And this is Abyss from the album Isolate. You know, first of all, again, killer vocalist Uh and keyboards are, I wouldn't call them front and center, but they're a very primary part of the sound of this band. Uh Tony pointed out that this starts off as a uniquely American experience. But now we're starting to get more and more European bands in it. Circus Maximus is Norwegian. And to circle back on a beginning point, one of the American bands that is still going in this genre is Fate's Warning. But you don't see Fate's Warning really having as much of the commercial success as you do some of the other bands, like a Dream Theater. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they're still going strong. I think Darkness in a Different Light is a great album. But then again, in in this genre in prog metal, I don't think you see a lot of huge commercial success or bands selling millions of albums, maybe as much as, say, prog rock. Another band that I follow in this genre is Opeth. Um, They started out as a death metal band, but their last three, four, five albums have been very much prog and prog metal. Yeah, I was looking for an Opeth sample, and I actually think I found one if you want to play it. It's Reverie and Harlequin Forest from Ghost Reveries in 2005. And it definitely has some of the hard sound, but I think you definitely will hear some of the prog metal side of it uh, shining through as well. Another band in this genre that I think is really interesting to watch is Ketatonia, and they do a whole lot with keyboards on top of distorted guitars as well. Mm. They often have a similar sound to Opeth, and I've really enjoyed their last album, City Burials, and this song is called Heart Set to Divide. All my memories unbroken, let the raptors circle me to become their own. I see the beat. 
So something that I wanted to make sure I mentioned, so obviously we've talked a bit about the gent style playing, palm muting style. There's an awful lot of drop D tuning on the guitars that happens in these bands. We also have a lot of double bass, double pedaling going on in these bands. And I think that that adds to the mathematical complexity and the syncopation that we hear. There's a different musicality that comes out of bands that are in the prog metal genre. There's a lot of focus on musicianship and proficiency, as, as Lee was alluding to. A lot of these musicians come together and they do projects together. Like This is a very close-knit community. And we have the privilege of saying that this was an American invention, but I don't think Americans own it anymore. Right. If I go down the list of what I've got queued up here, 90% of these bands are European. I don't know exactly why that is. I know why they don't tour here because they don't sell enough records to afford touring here. But when it comes to why aren't more American bands this way, I don't know if, if that would devolve into a recording industry conversation, right? Like they're just not getting signed in America, whereas they would get signed in Europe. Or if there's just more of an acceptance of this as mainstream in Europe. Like when I go to the Netherlands, this kind of music is not weird. Yep, I know. This is essentially top 40 kind of music that people listen to throughout Europe and Scandinavia. I know what you mean. And I think it's a sad commentary. When Dream Theater releases an album, one of the first things they do is they tour Europe because they know they'll get sold-out shows there. Mm -hmm. When the big prog metal acts come through Denver, the largest venue they play is the Paramount. Which is not the largest venue in Denver. Which is what, 3,000 people? Oh, not even. Right. Even look at the major labels signing prog metal acts. You know, the two biggest, I think, are probably Inside Out and Metal Blade. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the whole U.S. music scene in general. Yeah. Where most of the major acts are Katy Perry or Taylor Swift or something like that. Or um, what's her name? Tiffany? You're dating yourself with the Tiffany reference. <laughs> I think it's great you could you could pull out three examples. And that's what passes as an arena show these days. But it's and it's also crowding out the airwaves for other stuff. Right. There is definitely an overall vapidness to American music taste. So but you wonder why the record companies don't push harder into America. I always equate it to the fact that people eat McDonald's hamburgers, but there's a giant marketing machine telling you that McDonald's is good and making it appealing. Mm-hmm. You wonder why record companies don't do the same thing with Prague in America. Because there's not money in it, I don't think, right? Yeah, I think they're just certain that there is very little market for that in America. Right now, in the current existence of the world, I, I definitely think that there are Prague bands, especially indie Prague bands in the United States. And this is a call out to all the listeners. If you are an indie Prague band and you would like some promo, email us at up3show at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter at up3show. We want to promote you on this show. Absolutely. And so now we have this situation where we don't have many bands and the labels aren't signing bands. I don't know what happened, but I wanted to tack on to the comment you made about venues. I mentioned this previously that Fish from formerly Marillion, now Solo Guy, he's been doing these TED Talk kind of things on Fridays during the quarantine. And people were asking him, why don't you come to the States and tour? And he's like, in the States, I sell 100,000 records tops on a good album. It makes no economic sense for me to tour the States. Right. And then when you look at the big show that we went to last fall, we went to a small venue in Denver. I think we were at the Bluebird 
Uh, yeah. And we saw three major prog bands. We had Haken, Leprous, and Bent Knee on one ticket. Right. Right. And they're in this teeny tiny venue. In a club. Yeah, a place that's 100 people. So why don't we talk about prog metal in terms of the standard bearers? So I think Tool is definitely one. Yes. I think Dream Theater is one. Do you have any others that you would identify as being like a core prog metal band? As far as the 90s tentpole bands, I agree with that list. Tool, Dream Theater. I would put Camelot on there. But for me, in 2009, after the departure of Mike Portnoy, I think Dream Theater got a little bit of the life sucked out of it. To me, a lot of their music has gotten very formulaic. If you look at the last album, Distance Over Time, and the album before the Astonishing, the eponymous album, Mm -hmm. I noticed right away that those first seven songs on those two albums almost map one-to-one to each other in structure, in layout, speed. And going to a show now, I feel like it has really turned into a marketing machine. Now they put out an album, and they try to do three tours on that album. Mm -hmm. Basically get as much merch and ticket sales out of an album as possible. And I also think that has left a gap for other prog metal bands to step in. And in that gap, I think that's where Haken has rushed in. And to me, this band really has the talent, really has the writing chops, The Mountain and the three albums that follow have really cemented their place in prog metal for me. As an example, this is the Ectobius Rex movement from Messiah Complex from the album Virus. Richard Henshaw is kind of the writing and multi-instrumental genius behind Haken. He and Charlie Griffiths on guitar, and I think what they're writing is incredible. And in contrast to some of the other bands we've been playing here, I think one of Haken's biggest weaknesses is Ross Jennings as lead vocalist. He's just not that strong. Expand on that and qualify. Like, What are you looking for in a vocalist? Someone that stays on pitch, has a strong tonality, has good solid vibrato. Mm-hmm. Um, good range. They don't have to jump into falsetto so much. Haken's like one of the few prog metal bands that I've got any depth with. The vocal melodies, I mean, they're also a little bit kind of lackluster. I don't know how else to put it. And in that clip, there's a lot of whole note tones that the voice is carrying. Yeah, not a lot of vibrato towards the end. So, you know, one thing I want to say here is that I respect Ross Jennings. I think that he's a great singer in his own right, but I just have never felt like his vocals and his vocal style fit well in Haken. I can think of a handful of other bands where he would sound great and maybe even stellar, but I just don't think that his vocal instrument really works that well in the mix of the rest of the instruments we find in a band like Haken. Yeah, you just summarized that discussion really well. Actually, if you listen to Ross in his other band, Novena, He is outstanding as lead singer in that band. His voice fits really well with that style. We're never going to get on the Haken tour bus, or if we do, we're going to get the crap beat out of us. (laughs) Yep, definitely. What Craig mentioned about like the lyrical melodies not fitting, it actually reminds me a lot about something I've complained about with the Seventh Wonder records on The Great Escape. Tommy Karavik, his vocals are great, but the vocal melodies are very discordant, and it makes that album very difficult to listen to. It's interesting you say that, because for me, Alley Cat 
is another example of yeah, that. Yeah, and I have Alley Cat queued up. And for me, the verse in that song feels like it's two completely different songs between the vocal and the instruments. So this is Alley Cat by uh, Seventh Wonder. I thought that all worked, frankly. Did you? Yeah, loved it. Interesting. For me, it just feels like two songs that are completely out of joint. Tommy Karavik is one of my favorite vocalists. Absolutely. Who, incidentally, is still in Seventh Wonder doing the prog thing and is the lead singer of Camelot. That's a very strong vocalist. I, I'm very interested. What do you think Like you felt like the vocal melody tracked the instrumental melody? Or? In any music, you're going to have a lot of stuff going on and when a guy's singing he's singing the words to a melody and that's going to be different from everything else but it's going to follow the chords and stuff like that the chord structure of the song hmm. but you can get as crazy as you want with a melody it doesn't have to be do re mi fa so la ti do it could be like which he did right. you jump around a lot but it wasn't discordant it was just big jumps i think that what jumps out at me is instrumentalists continue that melody like it keeps going right that's cool and then tommy comes in and it's very different to me. Like he's singing like a completely different song. Yep. I think it's important to acknowledge one of the key pieces of prog metal is also growl vocalists. Mm -hmm. And because of our taste, I think you and I just don't listen to a lot of growl vocalists. So you really haven't heard that here so far. From a metal perspective, the metal influence here, there is a fair number of bands that do use growler vocals. And they are not my particular Ken, although I do appreciate them, how they fit into the tapestry that is prog metal. I did find one track by the band Meshuggah, who, as I mentioned earlier, was one of the kind of early 90s. Kind can, of I, late. can I interrupt? I got to interrupt you. Yeah. Do you know what Meshuggah means? I don't, actually. It's Yiddish for crazy person. That's awesome. And I learned a thing. I had never heard about them until we had our little production meeting the other day. I need to listen to them to see. Okay where that's coming from just how yiddishly crazy they are yeah exactly we can go there um but this track is the track obzen uh which was a uh, port manu that they made of obscene and zen um from this uh again, same this title yes okay i'm gonna google them because i want to see how many jews are in the band You know, really, if, if I didn't know, it would be so hard to distinguish that from actual klezmer music. <laughs> the similarities are really uncanny. I mean, that could have been accordions. It could be accordions. It could be guys with beards holding people on chairs. Yeah, they're certainly not orthodox. We'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's more of a reform uh, metal band. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's kind of a good place, though, because that was a very different sound. I'd like to kind of transition to where prog metal is going for the future. Well, again, I think Dream Theater has given up the center ground. But to me, that's left this gap that Haken has stepped into. And that band has a very clear path forward. They are tight and rock solid. Mm -hmm. And the other new band I would say to watch out for is Caligula's Horse. Maybe going out just slightly on a limb here because they haven't necessarily built their catalog out yet. 
They switch back and forth between prog metal and other styles like folk and maybe even a little acapella. But with each new release, I really like the way this band is progressing. And when they do prog metal, they absolutely rip. And here's an example. This is The Ascent off their last album, Rise Radiant. This band is out of Australia, and they're just sort of starting to get worldwide recognition. And we were all three set to see them in the U.S., and COVID-19 robbed me of my Caligula's horse tour. Uh. Still pissed off about that. Jim Gray on vocals and Sam Vallon on guitar are the founding members and the driving force behind this band. And I think they will go a long way. Yeah, so those are kind of my two prog metal future acts. Haken and Caligula's Horse, for now. Bands that I think are going to be the next wave. One, I think, that is interesting to me. I, they're not a young band, and it's actually Conception. In 99, when Roy Kahn went and joined Camelot, Conception stopped work, and they didn't do anything. And in the past couple of years, Roy Kahn has rejoined Conception. The version of Conception that exists now is a very different Conception. They are still a prog metal band, but the sound is different and it's more experimental and I like it a lot. Their most recent LP and as well as their EP, quite honestly, they crowdfunded because they're not on a label now. And a lot of people are really pissed off that this doesn't sound like Roll the Fire from Parallel Minds in 93. And I'm like, no, this is like, let it stand on its own. It's a really, really, really great record. They're not a band that's going to last forever because the members of the band are old now, right? Like oldish. But I think that what they're doing will influence the next wave. Kind of like what we talked about with Dream Theater did this and Tool did this. Like You push out, you, you push up against the boundaries and see what works and what doesn't work. And other people will go, oh, well, that works for them. And then they'll take the next set of risks. I think that that's going to come out of conception. Unfortunately, I agree with you about Haken. Um, I definitely agree with you about Caligula's Horse. You know, there's a couple of other bands... So there's one that right now, they've got an EP out, and it sounds more prog experimental, not as much metal there, but I, I can see inklings of where it might go metal, and that's a band called Exploring Birdsong. I've heard of them. Please go listen to their singles that are on YouTube, but listen to it with a critic's ear, and I can see where in a release or two, they're going to want to go nuts. Maybe I'll be wrong. I have to admit I'm a sucker for female-fronted bands. You know, I think that that's, I think that it's all just different perspectives, right? Yeah, definitely. That's why there's three of us here. Cool. What do you think, Craig? What'd you learn? What did I learn? Oh, man. Besides Prague Klezmer. Meshuggah. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that there's a lot of good Prague metal bands out there. One of the notes I have here is I'm going to listen to Octavarium. Pandora throws a couple of songs from it out at me, but I'm going to listen to the album because I want, I want to hear what you were talking about, chromatics, Yeah, um, what that's all about. There's a good write-up of it on uh, Wikipedia. Okay. But actually, I consider Octavarium more prog rock than I do prog metal. You know, to me, the more prog metal dream theater is like systematic chaos and a little bit of black clouds and silver linings and some of train of thought. Speaking of concept stuff from dream theater, they have scenes from a memory. 
which is an amazing record just on its own right. But I also threw in here, I think it's a really important thing uh, from an artistic standpoint for a dream theater. Listen to the Portnoy 12-step suite. Right. Oh, I, I'm familiar with that. This is a thing that they did across multiple records, and it all fits together. When you get to the very last one, The Shattered Fortress, you hear the homages to all of the other parts of this suite. Not only is it a really good touching art piece from the perspective of an addict recovering through a 12-step program, but musicality that goes into it is just amazing. And we see that across a lot of these bands. I want to make sure that I call that out because when we were doing definitions at the top of the show, that's a part of it that is important. Like there's a lot of artistry in here about what we're writing and why and how. If you go to my music stream, I've already put all the songs in the 12-step sequence together in order. And I think it's important to listen to it that way. I agree. Correct me if I'm wrong. He went and he did some shows with a different band. They basically, the whole show was playing the 12-step suite front to back, right? Yes. And the band he used is Haken without the drummer. Yeah, that's right. Um, we actually saw it on Cruise to the Edge. They debuted it. And then they went and toured it with that band, um, primarily in Europe. I'm not sure if there were any U.S. shows at all. So that was Ross Jennings singing that? They actually had different vocalists on the Cruise to the Edge for that. Eric Gillette sang a song. Ted Leonard sang a song. Daniel Gildenlau from Flower Kings. And Ross sang on a little of it. And I agree that concept can be a big piece of this. I've got two things I want to make sure I get in before we end this. So one is this concept of concept records, because I think that that's a big thing here. I've got a whole slew of bands that I haven't even mentioned. So I, I want the audience to know, like, I had to cherry pick the hell out of this genre to pick like bands that, and songs that I thought were particularly of note. And I don't, I'm not slighting them in the slightest. I don't think anybody's going to think that because remember, you're the guy with the prog metal license plate. This is true. If you want to talk about things to listen to that are concept that really bring that art form to bear, uh, definitely Operation Mindcrime is a, is a good one. Yep. So I already mentioned the Camelot Black Halo sequence. That's a good, good double, like two records that go together. Obviously, we've talked about Arion in a previous episode, like the Forever Saga that goes over many records. In a similar vein, uh, the band Coheed and Cambria has had a long, like, Arion-esque theme, right, across all their records. They've been telling the Affinity War uh, concept. Um, and then they've got like a double record called The Afterman, which fits into that, but it's like a two-record sequence. It's like a sub-story of the bigger story. So I've heard of them, and I've never heard a song by them. And the visual I get is little European Hansel and Gretel. No. But instead of Hansel and Gretel, it's Coheat and Cambria. They're holding hands and they're walking off into the woods. <laughs> oh, no. And, and interestingly enough, the Coheed and Cambria Affinity War saga is a space opera. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to listen to that. And I'm also going to listen to Queensryche. Yes. Uh, Operation Mind Crime, because I'm going to take the journey that you guys took. Great. And I'm just going to traverse the years and end up at Tool. That's my goal. So then as we normally do, let's do some recommendations so that fans of the show can go and uh, stretch their legs a little bit, learn a little bit more about this content. Lee, what do you recommend people go listen to? What I would recommend is Haken. Um, just go out and ride the leading edge on this. Ever since they did The Mountain, the last four albums have just been incredible between The Mountain, Affinity, and then Vector, and now Virus. They are really pushing the edge of prog metal. I am going to have my recommendation be Mastodon. I think that they are an amazing band, and especially if you are coming from the metal world, they're definitely a metal band. But then if you slow down and you pay attention, 
you will start to pick up on all the progressive elements. And the specific album that I want to recommend here is Leviathan. It is an oldie, but a great record. Crack the Sky is another amazing record by them, but definitely look at the album Leviathan. Cool. I will have to pick that up. Craig, do you have anything that you wanted to mention here? There's this dude, Andre Antunes, who'll take things from pop culture, like Kenneth Copeland, who's one of those televangelists, and he plays along with him just great guitar and and he's got like drum sequenced in there i don't know if he's playing drums too but it's brilliant it's it's like it's comedy really i mean it's it's like musical memes i think it's like prog metal you know i mean he's he's definitely got the crunchy guitar going go to youtube and search andre antunes kenneth copeland you'll it'll put a smile on your face yeah, that was great. I, I saw that one, and he does a really great job. It's really I, I think well that's done. more straight-ahead metal, but as a metal song, it's awesome. How do I know? That's all I got. This is our last episode of 2020. Can you Thank believe God. it? Thank God. Finally Jesus. coming to an end. These guys get off the air. <laughs> um, so, Lee, can you give us a little wrap-up of 2020 for us here on the show? You know, for a lot of 2020, there was some good audio and some good uh, releases. It's nice to have people locked in their studios and producing music. And just to be clear, this is for all of prog now, not just prog metal. From number five on up, I would put Catatonia, City Burials. Right after that, at number four, I would put this new album by the ocean, Phrenerozoic 2. I'm a little bit out on a limb on this one because I know I just picked this up, but it really blew me away on first listening. After that, I would put Haken's album Virus. Which was the best timed album. Absolutely. Yeah, (laughs) I know. They claim they named the album Virus way before the pandemic. I think they caused the pandemic. They may have. For number two, I would put Caligula's Horse Rise Radiant. And then number one, I would put Kairos Selexa Dreams right at the top. Really? Absolutely. I just cannot put that album down. They are all very good musicians that work really well together, but especially Adam Warna on keyboards and vocals and Peter Episcopo on bass. I think they both stand out. The writing is excellent. There's a couple of long standout tracks like Invanta Black, Technology Killed the Kids, and I would say Two Frames of Panic. And I think the album is also laid out quite well. It really progresses from, in the beginning, almost like a techno-pop sound to Really heavy progressive towards the end of the album. I really like the way it flows. I will be following this band very closely to see what they do next. And hats off to John Mitchell's label, White Star Records, for signing these guys. Craig, would you disagree? I know you really listen to the album quite a bit, too. I love that album. It's on repeat. It's in my uh, rotation. It seems like they have quite a few like EPs and different mixes and stuff like that. So I end up listening to the same song like 18 times in a row while I'm cooking dinner and stuff like that. I'm interested that you put Caligula's horse above Haken, yes. given how much I know above Haken. I agree with those numberings, but I'm surprised. That- yeah, Virus is a great album. It's pretty much straight ahead prog metal, a little bit of variety, but not a lot. To me, Rise Radiant, Caligula's horse just really stretches out on this album. There is quite a bit of prog metal, but there's also a lot of other styles represented here as well. I was thoroughly impressed with the execution of Rise Radiant, which... To me, it's saying a lot, because I thought In Contact was also a great album. I don't disagree largely with what you have there. Somewhere I would want to get the new Kansas record in there. Was that 2020, though? Yeah, I guess yeah, it was. Yeah, it was 2020. 2020. Three years ago, at the beginning of 2020. 
<laughs> right. oh, God. That's really interesting to me. I didn't think you were much of a Kansas fan, Tony. No, I'm not a huge Kansas fan, but that record, I think just objectively is a good record. And I think it would probably be top five on a lot of prog lists. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think the addition of Tom Brislin has really added a new dimension to that band. I would also, I mean, I, I think that the new Frost has to be in there somewhere. The, 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 the other EP yeah. um, is really great. Yeah, um, Jim Godfrey got on Twitter the other day and posted a screenshot, a reminder from his desktop that said, complete the album. So new Frost in 2021? One that would have to be up there, maybe it'd be number six for me, would be the new Conception record. I'm, I'm disappointed to not be able to advocate for my favorite band, Arion. I think that Transitus was kind of a dud, but I think that it would probably still be a top 10 record, but it would probably be number 10. You know, I think the disappointing thing about Transitus is that it didn't get to be produced as the film, which is the original way it was conceived. I think I would have been hugely interested in seeing that as a film. And actually, I don't even know about a film now. The more I've listened to this, I would love to see it as a stage production. That's that's uh, what I got. That's what I got. It really felt like theater. It really felt like theater more. So like, than especially theater. as someone who has seen Arion stage shows twice now, especially with how they put on Into the Electric Castle as a staged production, I think that Transitus would be great as a staged production. Okay. So, I mean, 2020, while being a... a crappy year politically and sociologically has had a lot of great music in it and uh it's and you know if nothing else there was this humble little podcast that started in 2020 Um, and it's gonna blow up in 2021 stay tuned for some good stuff all right so that is it for 2020 folks Uh, stay tuned for what's coming in 2021 in the meantime i hope you guys take care of yourselves and we will talk to you next time Hey folks, Tony here. If you made it this far, congratulations. You're getting every ounce you can out of this podcast episode. As a reminder, we're a podcast about commentary and opinion on prog music. We use samples of music to make our point and to teach others. We are in no way claiming the copyright of any music found in our samples and strongly recommend that you support these artists by buying their material or seeing them live. If you're an artist and you'd like for us to change how we've used your content on the show, please contact us directly so that we can work together. Thanks, guys.